0: Good morning. All right, I know you can do better than that. Let's try that again. All right, it's, it's past 10. So good morning. morning. There we go. There we go. Welcome. My name is Ross Gilbert, and uh, I am so excited to have you guys here this morning uh, as we continue on in our, our study in the, in the book of Ephesians. Um, but I want to kind of start with uh, back in Genesis, Genesis chapter 17 in particular, we, we come into contact with a man named Abraham. At the time, he's known as Abram at this moment. This is the moment where his name's going to change. And, you know, the story of Abraham is really interesting. You go back 24 years earlier in his life. He's 75 years old, and God promises him that he's going to have an heir and that this heir is going to be an incredible gift. And, and so Abram's all excited, except at age 75, him and his wife, Sarah, have had no kids yet. And so he's, he thinks, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to get an heir. And so he goes and he selects uh, his nephew, his nephew Lot. And he says, well, Lot, he's going to be my heir. He's, Lot's lost his dad and, and, you know, that's my brother. And so I'm going to take Lot as my own son. And so that was going to be the plan until Lot's herdsmen and Abram's herdsmen were in such conflict, they split up the family business, so to speak. And so Lot went one way and Abraham went the other way. But that means Abraham is no longer got his heir. And, and God comes to him again and affirms him that the, the heir is going to come born of his own household. And so Lot or Abraham says, well, if it's not Lot, then it's going to be Eliezer, a slave who was born in my household. He's going to be the heir. I mean, imagine being Eliezer that day, going from being a slave to the future heir of the kingdom. I mean, talk about winning the lottery until God comes and says, no, Abram, it's not going to be Lot. It's not going to be Eliezer. It's going to be someone born of your own loins. And so at age 86, finally, his wife, Sarai, comes up to him and says, well, I can't get pregnant. Why don't you sleep with my maidservant, Hagar, and she will bring you a child. And so Abraham agreed and, and slept with Hagar and produced Ishmael. And now Abram, goes, finally, here's my heir, my son born of my loins. Until at age 99, in this moment now, God comes to him and says, "Abram, I want to be really clear You're not going to have a son through Hagar. That's not going to be your heir. You're going to have an heir born of your household, born of your own loins, but also born of Sarai. And and what's going to happen, Abram, is that I'm going to change your name, Abram, from great father to Abraham, which means father of many nations. And right off the bat, right here, we begin to see God making that name change, making a covenant, we begin to see a glimpse of what God's intent was. God's purpose in all this was to make a father of many nations. And unfortunately, the Israelites in the Old Testament, they, they missed that part. They saw themselves as God's chosen people, and they were. But they thought it was chosen so that everyone could come join them. And that to, to worship God meant you had to be part of the nation of Israel. You had to be Jewish in some way. And so you would convert to Judaism if you were coming to worship God. What they didn't understand is their role was be a, a light to the nations, to be a priest to the nations, to, to be able to communicate and share who this God is with all the nations of the world so that God would be God to all the nations, not just one, not just the Israelites. And so that brings us really to Ephesians chapter one, because that truth, that idea that that God was making a covenant with Abraham, that he'd be the father of many nations came to fruition through the person of Jesus Christ. And so Christianity today is that, you know, it's amazing it is the most diverse faith out there. There are people from all, literally all over the world, all corners of the world that come to have faith in Jesus Christ, unlike any other faith that I know of. And this is all coming back to what Paul was trying to get at in Ephesians. So let's read in Ephesians chapter one, the the passage that we're going to be studying this morning. Uh, We're going to begin in verse seven. We kind of covered that off last week, but it's just so rich. It's worth repeating again. But uh, you can read along with me on the screen. Paul writes this in him, in Jesus Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us, overwhelms us in all wisdom and insight. He made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him with a view to the administration suitable to the fullness of times. That is the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we study this passage and look at this passage and we share what what you've placed on my heart, would would you do something extra special through your Holy Spirit and be able to convey not just not just the truth, not just the information, but would you be able to convey the heart behind this? That each one of us here would capture what your heart is saying in this passage to us today, and that we would be able to partake of it, embrace it, and live in the freedom that you intended through all this. In your name we pray, amen. Well, the first time I, I read through this passage, I got to admit, I saw all the flowery language and it, it really threw me off. It, it's just so poetic and it's just so, you know, grand. And, and I'm, I'm, A, I'm a simple guy, but B, I'm an engineer. So I'm, I'm more logical and I'm looking at, you know, gear ratios and that makes sense to me. And so it's, it's at first glance, looking at this, it's, it was hard for me to really grasp it. It, it sounded so out there. It, it almost sounded like this will be great in a thousand years. And, and I don't think that's really what Paul's intent in all this is. This passage is, is the treasure chest of the New Testament. It's all kinds of gifts for us that we get to open and, and experience and enjoy today. And so I knew there was something more in it. So I decided, well, let's just sort of break it down. Let's just start to work through it. And, and as I began to do that, I began to see what Paul was really trying to convey what he was trying to open up to them. And in many ways, he was trying to convey to them what's true as an invitation of sorts that they would begin to embrace and experience. And so I think it's something for us as well, something for us to embrace, something for us to take, up, take hold of this invitation so that we could experience the freedom and the joy that Paul's inviting us to despite living in a world that's fallen apart, so let's break down some of the key phrases. So the first key phrase there that's so flowery is this idea, this mystery of his will. You know, and you hear mystery of his will and you think, well, pfft, I won't be able to understand that. Why bother? It's just, again, it's so big, it's so grand, and it's so large. But when I began to study that out, that idea of a mystery of his will, literally what it's speaking of is the revelation of his will. It's a revelation that could not be understood apart from God revealing it to us. And so that's what he's done. It's not something that's hidden from us. It's not something that we'll never be able to figure out. It's not that kind of a mystery. It's a mystery where God says, here it is. I want to I tell you, Richard, about what the goal, what the will, what the desire of God's plan is. That's what Paul's talking about here. So it's a revelation of God, a plan that he has for us that's been revealed. Uh, the kind intention which he purposed. It's a plan that God purposes, that God plans out of the mercy of, out of the love, out of the grace of his heart. And so he willingly offers this to us. Goes on to talk about the administration suitable to the fullness of times. The administration just speaks about the economy by which things are going to run in. And Paul's referring to this new economy, this new covenant that we're going to operate under. And it's, it's allowing us to be experienced today, experience the abundance of it. So there's overflowing, And here's the key, the summing up of all things in Christ. That's what he's working towards, that there's this this mystery, his plan, his will that's been revealed to us according to his kind intention, according to his grace, according to his love, that we could operate under a brand new economy. And here it is, the summing up of all things in Christ. To understand this passage a bit better, I think we need to we need to skip ahead a little bit in the book of Ephesians to chapter three. Let me read to you the first six verses there. Paul writes this, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, you non-Jews, the people who didn't come in there under Abraham's um, lineage, for the sake of you Gentiles, If indeed you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me for you, that by revelation there is made known to me the mystery. Again, there's that word again, that revealed will of God, that revealed plan of God. As I wrote before in brief, by referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men. Previously in the Old Testament, they didn't see, they didn't understand this mystery, but it's now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the spirit. To be specific, Paul says, just so we're clear, here it is the mystery, the purpose, the revealed plan of God that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise of Christ Jesus through the gospel. See, God's plan, God's intent. His, his whole desire and all this, the, the revelation that he's trying to say is that he's brought the world together, all those who believe, regardless of your, your nationality, regardless of your race, your, your gender, your preferences, your hobbies, it does not matter. He's brought all people into one family. The one family summed up where Christ is the head. Christ is the source. All believers are one. And what's, what's great about that is that here at New Life, we 're just, we're just experiencing a part of that. You know, there's, there's some friends. we got some friends here from Alora uh, Road, the, the, the church that helped planted us, and what's great is they come once a month or so and, and just kind of help out as needed. And what's so beautiful is they don't have to leave Alora Road to be a part of us here at New Life. They get to be part of the same church. And yes, we meet in two different spaces in two different parts of, of the world. But the reality is we're still all one church. And so you can have feet in various communities, but you're all still part of the same family. That's really what Paul's trying to get at here. That the Jews and the Gentiles have come together. But it's really important. He's saying, I'm not going to bring the Gentiles into Judaism. I'm not bringing the Gentiles into the old Covenant. Instead, we're going to create a brand new economy, a new covenant. See, under the old covenant, it was all about the laws. It was all about the Ten Commandments. Really, there were 613 commands. But if you look at the, look at the economy, look at the power by which all these commands were to operate under. The Ten Commandments are all about you shall. You shall worship no other god. You shall make no, other, uh, no false idols. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall honor your parents. You shall, you shall, you shall. The weight and the pressure, the obligation is on who? It's on us. It's on me. And so I got to try and pull this off. I got to somehow be like God in my own strength and it can't ever happen. And so God's brought Jews and Gentiles together under a whole new system, a new economy, a new covenant that is not a form or a version or a modification of the old. The writer of Hebrews says he's, he set the old aside. It's come to an end to usher in a brand new, a new economy, a new covenant. And listen to how God describes this uh, covenant, the new economy. In Jeremiah 31, he says, Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day which I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. It's not the old covenant. It's not like the Mosaic Covenant. "'My covenant which they broke, "'although I was a husband to them,' declares the Lord. "'But this is the covenant that I will make "'with the house of Israel after those days,' declares the Lord. "'I will put my law within their heart. "'I will write it. "'I will be their God, and they shall be my people. "'They shall not teach again each man his neighbor "'and each man his brother, saying, "'No, Lord, for they will all know me "'from the least of them to the greatest of them,' declares the Lord. "'For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin.'" I will remember no more. In the old covenant, it was all about you and I. It was all about you shall, you shall, you shall. In the new covenant, the new economy, it's all about God saying, I will. I will be the power. I will be the ability. I will enable you to do all this today. So it's a brand new system that we get to live under. Well, what does that mean for us today? We talked about how Christianity is this diverse background, this diverse group, this very multicultural faith. But what's interesting, we we live in a world that seems to be smaller, we're told, right? We're so connected. I mean, I remember growing up, my my nana, she was in Ireland. And so if I ever wanted to connect with my nana through a letter, I'd have to actually write one out, right? I could type it out right on the old-fashioned butterfly typewriter. I could type it out, but you'd write one out and then you drop it in the mail and it would go over probably on a ship, on a boat, take two weeks. Then my Nana would get it and read it and then she would write out another letter, put it on another boat and it comes back another two weeks and now we could correspond. Well, nowadays, nowadays I can send an email or if I don't like an email, I can do a text message. And if I don't like a te- I can do a Facebook Messenger. Or I can do something on Twitter. You know, I can do something on, you know, Marco Polo, Instagram. There are countless messaging apps and services out there. And instantly get a response back and forth. And I can type it out. I can record something, a video, an audio. And there's so much opportunity to connect with one another. So our world is smaller in that sense. That someone over in Japan is immediately connected to us. And yet... And yet it feels bigger in many ways. Many people report being more lonely today than they did in the past. You know, I I found this article a couple years back and I thought that it's so telling on on what's really happening. And it was it was quoting a man named Roger McNamee. He was uh, one of the initial um, uh, supporters of Facebook. And he was talking about Facebook and Google and all the other large social media companies out there and their business models and he says this that um, he said that Facebook and other technology giants like Google have substituted phony relationships for real relationships. They've substituted something real and tangible and given us something fake and phony. And so we've got hundreds of friends on our social media accounts, but they're not really close to us. They don't pick up the phone and ask you how you're doing, what's going on, and and they don't celebrate with you other than a like and a happy birthday because Facebook reminded them. And so we actually feel more and more apart. One researcher studying this topic of loneliness, he said this, one thing to remember is that loneliness is subjective. Loneliness does not mean being alone. Loneliness does not mean not having friends. Loneliness is defined as subjective Distress. It's the discrepancy between the social relationships you want and the social relationships that you have. And so we have this idea of what we're longing for and, and we think we should have it because I've got all these friends and I've got you know, all this stuff going on on Facebook and yet the gap of what I want and what I have seems to be getting bigger and bigger. And so like drinking salt water, trying to quench my thirst, I only end up more thirstier. And so we crave relationships all the more. And that's what we get to do as the church. That's what Paul was inviting the Jews and the Gentiles to come together as a church, is that we could be the real thing. That we're not some phony relationship. We get to offer true, authentic community relationships. I love, um, I love how this, this one quote in particular Jeremy, he, uh, he shared this with, with myself and some others a couple days ago. And I just think it, it was so captured what I was hoping to share this week. So I'm going to quote to you. It's from the book Trust for Today by the, the people from True Face. And back just a few days ago, on July 31st, it talks about these life giving communities. And they say this over your lifetime, you'll probably have the opportunity to join a number of faith communities. If you pay attention, There'll be a tangible sense to each of them. In some, you can feel the overstructured control of the leaders as they seek to create an environment where the members appeal, appear well-behaved, together, on their games. Entering, you can feel unsettled, as though nearly everyone there probably fails less than you. That could be your cue to leave. The objective is not to build communities that appear to have sin under control. The objective is to nurture a place where people can stop pretending that they have sin under control. Now, entering such a place may feel messy, but it will often also feel welcoming and life-giving. You might experience friends living unedited lives. You might witness perfect love working itself out imperfectly. You might even, over time, be entrusted with stories of maturity and growth that border on the miraculous. So as you join, choose wisely and go towards the life. You see, if we can find a community and we can build a community that isn't about fixing your behavior isn't about keeping sin under control. If we can begin to form and create a community that is about knowing your heart and helping you release that life, what ends up happening is we get to experience God in a way not thought possible. Because I get to experience God in Mike and he gets to experience God in me. And then, then Christ and Nola shows up in a way that, that I never saw in Mike and myself. But it's so perfect and so beautiful. And then, then we got Christ in, in all kinds of people. It's just in wonderful experiences. And so as we're experiencing God and all these people, my faith in God grows. Because I experienced something from you, that life in that moment. Or maybe I hear some of your stories and how God moved in you. And because my faith in God grows, it leads to greater healing and maturity. That's what we're after. So what I I want to do the rest of this morning is I want to take us through some statements. Some statements that I think my hope is capture the heart of what church and what community looks like. And specifically, these statements, I think, are, are capturing the heart of what New Life Fellowship is about. So if you're here for the first time, boy, did you ever pick a great week to come. Because this is, this is what we're about. This is what we're striving to be about. So the first statement is this. Our primary focus is Jesus Christ and the cross, which is a new covenant message of life and grace. That's what we want to be about. Like Paul, who wrote in 1 Corinthians 2, I desire to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's it. That's the heart of what we're going to be sharing, what we're going to be teaching. We're not trying to to pump you up with some motivational talk that will send you back out there and let you fight harder for one week and then feel tired and come back and we pump you back up and send you back out into the world. That's not what we're trying to do. Mostly because I'm not a very good motivational speaker. I just, I don't, maybe I have a run and I jump around a little bit better, but that's just not my heart. But I also don't think it's what we need. See what, what Paul is talking about here, when we talk about the focus being Jesus and the cross, we're talking about our union with Christ, that we are in Christ and Christ is in us. And the result of that is we're a brand new creation. The old self was crucified with Christ, was buried. You are raised up as someone different. Someone that has already been made in the image, and the likeness of God, Ephesians 4.24 says. In holiness, in righteousness, and in truth. That's who you are today, Iva, right now. And you're completely forgiven of everything. You've been freed from that law. You've been freed from the Ten Commandments. You've been freed from the old covenant to experience life under the new covenant. The covenant where God says, I will do all this through you. And this isn't subjective truth. We know this is real. We know this is tangible because Jesus rose again. That's the evidence that all this took. That there was a resurrection. That he didn't stay in the grave. And the apostles, that's what they told us over and over again. And that's the proof that you are enough. Because Jesus lives today. So that's what we want to be about. That's what we want to teach and it's, it's, it's deeper than a theology, but that's what we're trying to convey because we want to convey the theology of the new covenant because as one friend of mine likes to say, bad theology is a horrible taskmaster. It will put us in bondage and beat you up. So we want to convey the truth of the new covenant, the truth of God, but it doesn't stop there. That's just the beginning. There's a goal in all this instruction. And, and the goal is that we would love one another the next slide. What we're hoping that all this truth of the new covenant will do is that we're forming a community of grace where we share the life of Jesus beyond just Sunday mornings. You see, we're, we're coming together to learn and to understand the new covenant so that we can experience it. We can experience true authentic relationships, true authentic grace. You see, church is not a to-do list. It's not something to check off your list on Sunday mornings. I went to church. Check. God, are you pleased with me? Or God, I've done my part. I've gone to church. I've read my Bible. I prayed. I've done all the things. Now you have to do your part. Now you're going to do something for me. That's not what it's about. The writer of Hebrews, much quoted verse, but we've only really kind of quote half of the verse. But the writer of Hebrews in chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, he spoke about this. He says, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together. That's the part that's often been quoted. Oh, don't forsake the gathering of the brethren. Got to make sure you come to church. But we, we lost sight of the reason of coming to church. It wasn't just just to come for the sake of coming. But encouraging one another. Stimulating one another to love and good deeds. It's to be a community of, of real flesh and blood. Real people here. Encouraging us. Supporting us. Loving us. And <clears throat> that's really where we want to get to. And we're far from there. We really are. We're just getting started. I mean we're we're just over 6 months as a church and we're just getting started to form this but you know what 10 years from now we'll be just getting started still because this is not something you ever master it's not like oh we've got it figured it out problem solved we're always going to be learning this because this is something that is is alive it's so fluid So what will that kind of entail? What will that look like? Well, this is, I think, more of what this community is going to look like. Next slide. What we're going to do is we're going to pray and worship because we have more confidence in the love and grace of God than anything we've experienced in this world. We're going to pray and we're going to worship because we believe God is bigger than anything else. It does not matter your sin. It does not matter what you've done or what someone has done to you. It does not matter the addictions you struggle with. It does not matter what you're thinking and and what you're fearing. Whatever it is you're up against. Our God is bigger. We really believe that. And and it breaks my heart when when I talk to people in seminaries who teach counseling. And they say to me, you know what? I don't think counseling has any real place for faith. And that all we really need is we just need to learn the the counseling techniques that the world has been teaching. And if we apply those, that should be sufficient. That we don't really need Jesus for that. And it breaks my heart. Not that those counseling techniques are bad. Oh, they're wonderful. They got all kinds of great insights and tools that we can use for that. But... The power that brings the change, the power that brings the transformation is not the technique. It's not me as a counselor. It's the Holy Spirit is the counselor. And so we're going to pray and we're going to worship because we're going to turn our thoughts to God and let God be our savior. Let him be the one to rescue us because we have all the confidence in the world that he's bigger than anything you bring to the table. Next slide. We value people way, way, way above programs. Programs are merely the tools we use to connect to and to love others through. that's not new. You probably not, you know, this is not the first time you're hearing that statement that, you know, pr- we value people over programs. When I when I was writing that out, I thought, "Man, I'm like writing a corporate document here, right?" And it just felt so lifeless and empty and, and it just yeah, yeah, bam bam bam, right? I mean, the, the peanuts teacher could be t- saying that those words, it just felt so empty empty to me. But it really is what we believe. But it's also really what we're trying to practice. See, our our goal is not to create an organization or an assembly that is is big and snazzy and and well-run and so forth. I mean, we want people to come. We want to fill this whole gym up with all kinds of people and be overflowing. Don't get me wrong. That's what we desire. But because what we really desire is that every person could experience the grace of God. They could learn about it. They could hear about it and experience it through one another. That's what we're trying to accomplish. And so the program is just merely the the tool that we use. And be it the program that we're running right now Sunday morning, be it a program that we're doing for the the kids, be it the programs that we're running throughout the week, they're just the vessels, the vehicles. But they don't matter. It's the people that we're trying to reach and connect to that matter. And so because of that, next slide, because of grace, we have complete freedom to try things, experiment, make a mess, be a mess, and totally fail. And that's why we've got Marco. (laughs) Right? I mean, otherwise Marco wouldn't be allowed here, right? But he's totally welcome because he's completely allowed to be himself. And sometimes it's going to be great and sometimes... Well done, Marco. <laughs> but it doesn't matter because we love Marco. That's all that matters. We're, we're not trying to be polished. We're really, ne- I don't think we're ever going to be polished. We're never going to be slick and excellent. I mean, we're, we're trying for that, but that's not our ultimate goal. See, I think too often that slick and polished feel, it feels too much like a museum to me. Everything's clean. Everything is just perfectly placed. But it's also very cold. What I imagine this to feel like is to feel like a living room or a family room. And it's going to be messy. There's going to be things strewn across the floor where the kids are playing. And and it's going to be loud at times and crazy. But you know what's beautiful about family rooms or living rooms? People relax. People put their feet up. They can take their shoes off. They can just be themselves. I don't have to pretend anything. They don't have to put on any kind of a of a shtick and, and try to think they have it all together. They can just be comfortable. And whether that's Sunday morning or throughout the week, that's what we're after. Next slide. We take God and relationships seriously, but we don't take ourselves too seriously. And we want to have fun. And we want to laugh lots. Hopefully you've got a sense of that this morning. That we're not taking ourselves too seriously. Because it isn't about the end product. It isn't about how well the performance goes off. We're just relaxing and having fun. We want to laugh. We love to laugh. Have a great time. And again, whether that be Sunday morning or whether it be Monday through Saturday. Because that Monday through Saturday is so critical to us. And... And what's great about it is only those who know and understand the new covenant are able to not take themselves too seriously. See, I'm taking myself too seriously when I, when I need the outcome to be a particular way because I need you to accept me. I need you to think well of me. I need you to go, oh, wow, great job. But, but I'm the one that Jesus loves Completely. I'm his beloved son, righteous and holy, and you can't improve that, you can't change that, you can't diminish it. And so I don't need your good favor. I don't need you to think well of me. And so I can relax. I can accept criticism. I can accept rejection because I'm no longer insecure in the new covenant. And so that's what we want to keep coming back to. We no longer judge success now by the outcome. What we define success is, did we get a chance to minister to people? Did we get a chance to connect with people? Next slide. This is sort of the other side of that, right? We want to have fun, we want to laugh, we want to have a great time, but you're also free to struggle and be honest with what you're feeling. You never have to come here on a Sunday morning again to anything that's getting together with new life people. You don't have to come to any gathering and, okay, deep breath, put on that smile. Everything's fine. No, you can just be yourself. And you can come in here and say, you know what? Feeling tired. It's been a long week. So I'm not going to get up and and stand up for worship. I'm just going to stay seated. Or you can come and say, you know what? I'm just... I'm tired. I'm exhausted. I'm struggling. I don't know how to, how to move forward in all this. And that's okay too. We just want you to come. Be you. And what's beautiful about that, when you come and when you're honest with us, when you trust us to be that honest, you open yourself up enough to allow us to love you. You open yourself up enough that Christ through us can share his love through us to you, thereby in that moment, letting you know it's okay. See, our our goal isn't trying to fix people. We don't want you to, you have to feel a certain way. We're not trying to manage sins. We just want to help you grow in your faith. We just want to help you grow in your trust in Jesus so that you can experience life as he intended it. Next slide. We encourage but don't demand vulnerability from you to allow others in. See, everything here is by an invitation. We're not going to make you share something. We're not going to make you be something. But we want to encourage it. We want to create a place for that to happen, where you can be vulnerable, where you can open yourself up and say, you know what? I'm struggling with depression. Or I'm struggling today because I just had a miscarriage. Or I'm struggling because I just found out that my spouse doesn't love me anymore. Or I'm struggling because the kids are driving me crazy. Whatever it is, we want to create a place where you can be vulnerable enough, not so that everything gets fixed, but so we don't have to hide from one another where we can be known and seen by one another and experience that love of God. Next slide. We're working to create a safe place where we can get to know one another and earn each other's trust. And I, I put that phrase, we're working towards, because we're not there yet. We're just getting started in all this. But this is what we're trying to work towards, what we're trying to form, what we're trying to create. What we want to be about is creating a safe place, earning that trust, earning the, the right for you to be vulnerable with us. And that's why I say it's an invitation. You, you being vulnerable is on us to earn the right for that. Now, you've got to make the choice. We can't make the choice for you, but we want to earn the right so that Eldon can be honest and open up struggles with me, with the the body as a large, as as a group, or just individuals. And so we're going to earn Eldon's trust so Eldon feels comfortable with that. Now, please understand what we mean by a safe place. Safe often is confused with nice, but they're not the same thing. Nice is where there's no conflicts, where everything's quiet and there's no surprises. And that describes a library or maybe a, a contemplative rock garden of sorts, right? That's, that's nice. That's not what we're talking about. What, what does safe mean? Safe is a place where you can have conflict, where you could go toe-to-toe with someone. I disagree. I disagree. You can have conflict. You can have fights. You can fail. You can blow up on one another. You can totally go on a flesh trip with another person. But this is what makes it safe. You'll still have a place at the table. You'll still be welcomed. You'll still be loved because we're not judging you by the number of times and the kind of flesh outbursts that you have. We're loving you based on the new heart that you have in Jesus Christ. That's what we're after and that's what we see. And so it's safe for you to mess up because that's what we're trying to accomplish is to show that love and grace. And again, we're not perfect. I can't stand up and say, we've got it all figured out. Nope. We're working towards it, and we're going to fail. We're going to make mistakes. But that's all part of growing together. And so what it allows us to do, next slide, is we will love others in their immaturity, inviting them to maturity standing with and protecting one another, not trying to fix them. See, I love the imagery that this puts in my mind. That you you could be that immature. You could be struggling with something. That's that outburst of the flesh. And and I'm not going to be against you. I'm going to stand shoulder to shoulder with you. And it's going to be me and you and Jesus. And together, we're going to walk through all this. Because what's beautiful is, it's not my job to fix you it's not your job to fix your spouse or fix anyone a friend or or a family member that job belongs to who the holy spirit right the job's been filled you don't need to take on that job you're unemployed and don't take on the job of assistant holy spirit there is no such a position okay that's not your role it's God's job to fix. It's God's job to bring the transformation. What we do, we just get to be the vessel that He loves through. And then finally, last slide. We welcome anyone regardless of their belief, what they look like, their past, their struggles, their fears, and their doubts. It doesn't matter. I don't care what your where you've been and how messed up it is welcome you don't have to agree with everything that i teach and i say welcome you don't have to do what i do you're welcome that's not to say that that we're so loosey-goosey and we don't stand for anything oh no 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 i am an opinionated person Just ask my wife. She will back that one up. I have no problem standing up for what's true and what I believe in. So have no fear of that. I have convictions. But you don't have to agree with me for me to love you. You don't have to agree with me for you to be here. All I ask is that you be open to what God wants to share with you through his word and what he's trying to teach us. That's it. And even if you're not there yet, but you just want to sit here? You're welcome. Because again, my goal is not to fix you. It's just to love you. That's what my heart is. And, and way more than just Sunday morning do I want us to experience that. That's just sort of a, a, a time where we all get together. But, but I really believe in my heart, and I've said it many times, and I'll say it many more times, we want to focus on Monday through, th- through Saturday. We want to get the rest of the week where we're supporting and loving one another, being friends to one another so that when the the trials hit, when the problems hit, we've already got a relationship that we can lean in on. And I think if we take care of the Monday to Saturday part, then Sunday is going to begin to take care of itself. So that's my heart. That's what I, I want every one of us to experience Because when I meet people, I get to meet people from all across different churches and denominations and so forth. When I meet people, I see so many people who are hungry and starving for life, starving for this community. So I just want them to get a taste, get a taste of what God's offering to us. And again, it's not just here at New Life, it's because we're in Christ. That's what matters. Because I know if they can get a taste of that community, they're going to see God differently. And they're going to see themselves differently. And they're going to see other people differently. And that's what's going to bring the transformation. I also don't want to be the, just the person that talks about grace, life, and freedom. I really so badly want you to experience it from me. But I got a problem. I can't, I can't be all, everything on that list to everyone. I can't be everyone's best friend. I've tried to be friends with a lot of people, and I just I don't have it in me. I'm not Jesus. I don't have the, the time or the energy, the headspace to pull it off. So I, I can't stand up here and promise that I'll be everyone's best friend and so forth. So I spent some time this week trying to figure out, well, what can I promise? What, what can I offer you guys? And and this is what I can promise to you, that if you have a problem, if you're struggling with something and you need someone to come alongside you to help you. Myself or one of the elders, we will be there for you. That is what we signed up for when we agreed to be an elder, is to just walk with you, to listen to you, maybe offer you some counsel so you can turn to Jesus and find what he's trying to say to you and all that. And so we will help you and walk with you when you go through a crisis. We can do that. But again, I can't be everything all the time to people. And, and again, I've, I've tried. And I, I often overcommit myself, especially right now. I feel I overcommit myself too much. And what happens is I let people down. I don't come through with what I've promised. And I'm, I'm not the great friend. I become a really lousy husband and a lousy father. And, and so I'm, I'm learning very, very poorly at this point. I'm sure Joey would tell you, but I'm learning to not overcommit and pull back. And so what it means then is that I need all of us to play a role in this. That it's not just me being grace to you guys. It's all of us sharing Jesus and his grace with one another. And so what will happen is you'll find a group of people that that you're really close with within the church. And again, it doesn't have to only be New Life Fellowship Church. It could be all kinds of different churches. But you're going to find a group of people that you're really close with and you're going to foster and create that, that community of grace and watch it flourish, watch people grow. And and then they'll have a different group over here and a different group over here and we'll have all these different groups and we get to come together and encourage one another. But we now need each of us to play that role of offering that protection, of offering life to one another. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, We have so many opportunities to experience this community. And it could be just getting together for a, for a dinner or going out to a movie. Or it could be getting around, uh, together for, around the fire, or around the pool. All kinds of different opportunities, Father. Would you, would you begin to place that desire in our heart and encourage us to risk being vulnerable with someone else, risk community with other people, and that we could experience something way bigger than whatever we imagined. That we could experience what we're teaching about. Where we could experience to be this truth that we're actually fully known. And totally loved. Totally accepted. Despite all our perceived flaws and shortcomings. And that would create within us a deeper hunger for you a deeper drive to know you because we're seeing Jesus, seeing you through one another. So would you lead each of us as we leave here today and, or even just when we go out and we fellowship today, that we would be intentional in trusting one another. In your name we pray, amen.